Welcome to Lessons for Life, where we seek to learn, love, and live the Word of God. Now, here is James Long Jr. Good morning. Would you turn in your Bibles with me to 2 Samuel 22, chapter 22, 2 Samuel chapter 22. And believe it or not, this is going to be our last message on the life of David, 2 Samuel chapter 22. Uh, many months ago, we, we started on a journey uh, looking to uh, David's life and trying to understand who he is and um, the God that was behind him today. Hopefully, we'll see that even more so. You know, as I was um, coming to uh, prepare for this sermon, I've been thinking about this idea of reminiscing, uh, because cause in many ways, David is reminiscing over his life. He's looking back, he's reflecting, and I was thinking about uh, reminiscing. You know, oftentimes when you reminisce, what you do is you look back and you look back at the times that were there in your life, uh, the good times and the bad times, uh, the times of struggle and the times of great joy and times of great pain. And oftentimes when we reminisce or we remember or we reflect, for some of us, it is a really bitter time. Um, as I get a chance to counsel people and to disciple people, oftentimes what I find is that as people look back at their past, they see such great pain and misery, and, and maybe the problems of their past became more prominent. And even as they speak today, decades later, they find themselves talking about the things and the events of their past as though it was right now at this moment. So I wonder what's big in your vision as you look back. You know, for some of us, it's, it's woundedness. We've been wounded by somebody, and there's, that woundedness has led to some level of bitterness in our lives because we, we remind ourselves over and over about the pain from our past and the struggles that have been there. And that woundedness leads to bitterness, and that bitterness can inflame anger in you as you, as you start to think back about the, the hurts, the abuses, the pain, the grief, the losses. You could start to find yourself feeling really angry. And for some of us, if we don't deal with that bitterness, if we don't deal with that anger, we could find ourselves getting really stubborn and entrenched in our lives and even out and out rebellious. And as you've seen these two kings that we've been looking at, King Saul and King David, both of them went through some very difficult times in their lives, but they turned a different direction. One of them turned to themselves and to their past and to their anger and to their bitterness and went to more and more stubbornness and rebellion in his life. And he got murderous in his actions. And that was King Saul. He even went to a place where he was going to try to destroy David, this man who had been so very faithful to him. But then there was David. David's not a perfect man by any stretch. We've seen it in his life. But there was a constant theme about David's life. It was not the perfection of his life, but it was the direction of his life. That over and over again, he kept finding himself grounded on the God of his faith. And so as I think about these two people tonight, I, I just want to think about as I look back and as you look back at your life, what becomes paramount in your vision? 
As you look back at your life, is it, is it the pain of your past that's big in your vision? Or is it the God that took you through that pain and through that trial that's big in your vision? As you look back, I want you to also look around at what's happening right now. Do you see the God of your past as the God of your present? See, David could know that the God of the past, the God of the scriptures and the God of his past is the God that is with him today in his present. And then that same God of your past and the same God of your present is your same God of the future. So as you reminisce, what do you focus on? See, sometimes I think we lose a sense of, of the passion of God. Sometimes I think we lose a sense of the power of God and his presence and his purpose in our lives and his preserving grace. We forget him. I, I often say this, that people remember what they should forget and they forget what they should remember. You know, one of the things about idolatry, idolatry in the Bible is this fancy word for something that we lift up, make big, elevate. Idolatry is interesting because in idolatry, you will become like the thing you focus on. As Saul focused on power and prestige, and he focused on his reputation, and that became most important to Saul, what did he do? He sought to destroy everyone else so that he can get that idol. But we will find with David's life, as you've seen him over these months, as we've been studying him, he has kept God in his vision. Yes, there were times that he went off track, terribly off track. But generally speaking, he came back on track to focus on God. So what's in your vision this morning? Have you lost faith in God? Some people... Um, make their experiences of their lives big and they start to question God. They start to doubt God. Their faith begins to weaken and even the worship of God, their adoration of God seems to weaken as the problems of their lives get big. So where's your faith today? The scriptures tell us that God wants us to know him. The scriptures tell us that God wants us to love him. And then the scriptures say that God wants us to obey him and serve him. And I believe that that's what David did. So let's think back through David's life here for a moment. This little boy, you remember Samuel was given a command by God to go to the family of Jesse to find my king. And if you remember that very first sermon where Samuel goes and he sees this one brother and he says, that's got to be the one. And you remember what God says, don't look on the outward, right? Man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks on the what? The heart. God is looking at his own child. He's looking at the one that is his. And you remember, they went through the brothers and it was like, it's not this one. It's not this one. It's not this one. And then Samuel's like, what in the world's going on? And he looks to Jesse and he says, Jesse, do you have no other sons? And you see how David was just pushed aside? Oh, well, we got David. He's out with the sheep. And Samuel says, bring him here. Bring him here, right? And you remember that little kid coming off the, he was a little kid, he may have been 12 or 13 years old, coming off the field, working with the sheep, and Samuel pours oil in his head and anoints him the next king. Fast forward, you remember the story where the Philistines are at battle, and this giant 
massive giant is there, and he is spitting in the face of God and his people. And God does something amazing with David. David looks at this man who's tons of feet taller than David. David can't even put on a soldier's armor, but he goes out there in the name and the power of the Lord. And he goes out there not fearing that giant because that giant is not big. God is big in his vision. And he strikes down that giant. You remember the father-in-law that he had and he was father-in-law Saul and David's got a wife now and his father-in-law's the king and he, he's, such, he's such in a privileged place. And you remember the people said, David has slain his 10,000, Saul only his thousands. And you remember Saul is getting bitter and anxious and angry and he's possessive and he just wants to hold on to his, his kingdom. And then he gets to a place where he's going to kill, attempt to kill David. One, two, three, tons of times he's trying to kill David. He even tries to kill Jonathan because Jonathan is protecting David. That is how murderous he is. You remember that Saul had even come to a place where he killed a bunch of priests of Nob because he hated David. But God protected David, you remember. And as the story continued, we saw at least on two occasions, David had the opportunity to kill Saul. He was right there in his vision, right there. And what did David say? I'm not going to lay my hand on the Lord's anointed. Over and over again, Saul proved, proved to be David's enemy. David proved to be Saul's friend. And what did he say over and over again? God, vindicate me. Vindicate me. At about 30 years old, he becomes king over the southern tribe. And at 37 years old, he is king over both sections of Israel. But the wars haven't stopped. Saul is dead, but now armies, the Philistines, are attacking David. There are so many times that David is within an inch of death. And God protects him. Even David's own son, Absalom, is looking to kill David and take role and reign. And David is protected. So this morning, it's a very long passage. I'm not going to be able to go through all of it. I am going to pray that you're going to take the time to go through 2 Samuel 22 today. I just want to pull out some life lessons that I believe David found in the journey of his life. As he reminisced, as he looked back, he reminded himself of these anchoring points that kept him firm in the midst of the most struggles of his life. Life lessons. Where do you turn when life gets tough? The first place that I believe David turned is right here in verses 2 and 3. He turned to the fact that the Lord is my safety. The Lord is my safety. Hear me. He says, and David spoke the words of the Lord, to the Lord, the words of this song, which is pretty cool. You know, Psalm 22 tells us that God inhabits our praises. So, so God is hearing these praises, the song from David. And the song on the day that when the Lord delivered him from all the hands of all of his enemies and from the hand of Saul. I find it interesting that he separated Saul from his enemies. As David is quoting this to the writer of Samuel, he wants to separate Saul from his enemies. Even after Saul is dead, David did not count him as my enemy. It's amazing. 
How do we treat people that are our enemies, quote unquote? Verse two, here's where I believe that he finds the Lord is my safety. He says, the Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold and my refuge, my savior, you saved me from violence. David, he just can't help himself. He is just exploding in praise for this God. Nine characteristics, nine metaphors. He's trying to describe God. The indescribable, he's trying to describe, indescri- describe the indescribable. He says that God, you're my rock. The first one in verse two, that rock out in the desert, what would happen is that the rock, um, under a rock, there was some coolness. And if you notice, if you actually turned a rock upside down in a desert, oftentimes there would be a green patch that would be under that rock. So what you would do is if you're in this hot desert, oftentimes you would want to find a rock to kind of get under for shade from the beating down sun. So he says, Lord, you're my rock, my sila, my protection, my shade. Then he says, you're my fortress, my deliverer. And he goes through all of these characteristics. The second rock here in verse 3, which I find important, is this. That rock is a different word. It says, my God and my rock. It's a rocky cliff. Do you remember how many times David was in the caves, hiding in the caves away from Saul, trying to find protection in the midst of this, that is what I think David's looking for. So he says that, God, you're my shade. God, you're my protector. God, you're my ultimate safety. Nine descriptions of who God is and what he's done for him. But did you hear the repeated word? There's a repeated word rock, and there's a repeated word refuge, but there was a repeated word almost nine times in here. Did you hear what it was? My. The Lord is my rock. The Lord is my fortress. The Lord is my deliverer. The Lord is my God, my rock, my refuge, my shield, my. Martin Luther said this, the Christianity is the religion of the personal preposition. I like that. He basically says this, the Lord loves me. He gave himself for me that he is my God. So as you go through the deepest trials in your life, I need you to remind yourself, don't look at the vision of the problem that's ahead of you. I need you to know that the Lord is your safety, number one. There's a second thing that I believe that David teaches us, and it's in verses uh, four and following, is that prayer is my necessity. Not only is the Lord my safety, prayer is my necessity. It says, I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised, and he saved me from all of my enemies. For the ways of death encompassed me, the torrents of destruction assailed me, the cords of Sheol entangled me, the snares of death have confronted me. In my distress, I called upon the Lord. To my God, I called from his temple. He heard my voice. My cry came to his ears. David, in, in some ways, is saying this. He's, he, he's envisioning like he's going down and he's been wrapped around his legs and he's being pulled down into this water and he feels like he's drowning and he's crying out, help, help. That's what we do when we are in need, right? 
That's exactly what David is doing. When he is struggling right now, where does he do? He goes, he cries vertically. He says, God, help me. Prayer is his necessity. Do you understand that we have an unlimited potential of prayer? It's pretty staggering to think about the fact that the God of this universe is attuned to you if you're a child of God. Yet, little praying is done. Why? Because I think that most people find their lives so discouraging, so distressful, that they don't even think to to pray. I think there's a basic belief that we want to try to move God over to our vision rather than to see that God is there to help us. And so in prayer, it seems easier for us to do it ourselves. I prayed, God didn't do what I would like, so I'm going to do it myself. But I'm telling you, prayer is so essential. In Matthew, Paul, uh, Jesus said, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. Prayer is so important. David wrote more than half of the Psalms and all of those Psalms are a prayer book. They're a song book for the church. They're a prayer book. It's his journal. As he's sitting in the caves of En Gedi, he's writing these prayers down to God. Help! God. And if you remember, a couple of times, Saul is right on the other side of the hill, and David says, there is a breath between me and death. Then God intervenes. God intervenes when there seems to be no way. And that is the God that we are called to pray to. When we pray, we, we appeal to God, we, we call out to him, we cry out to him, we ask God, help me. So the first thing that David learned when life got tough was that the Lord was his safety. The second thing that David learned when life got tough was prayer was his necessity. There's a third thing that David learned when life got tough that the most high God is my invincibility. The most high God is my invincibility. You know, I know me, and there are times that I will look at a thing horizontally of this earth, and it becomes so big in my vision. I go through this at times, I can't. I don't know how I'll ever be able to handle this. And I, and I at times, sad to say, can get overwhelmed with the things of this earth. And as soon as I get overwhelmed with the things of this earth, I know that my vision for God has been lacking. And what what David was able to find is that as he's going through these torrents and these trials, he says that the most high God is my invincibility. Here, this God that comes to his rescue. Then the earth reeled and rocked, verse 8 And the foundations of the heavens trembled and quaked because he, God, was angry. Smoke went up from his nostrils and devouring fire from his mouth, glowing coals flamed forth from him. Now that's a God, right? That's a weak, mamby-pamby God. This is a God who can come to your rescue. So now we've gone through months of David's life. When in the world did this happen where mountains shook and earth quaked? didn't happen. This is the Exodus. David is looking back at the Bible in the Exodus. And you remember when God gave the people the command of God, the Ten Commandments on the Mount Sinai? 
And you remember what happened? The earth shook and the darkness, and you couldn't even touch the mountain because the holiness of God was there. What David is envisioning is the God that delivered his people and gave them a law back in Exodus is the same God that's with me today. We need to do the same. David's cry was this, that if if that God can reel and shake the world, then that God is with me. Verse 10, he bowed the heavens and came down. Thick darkness was under his feet. He rode a cherub. I love this vision. The invisible God takes a a chariot and a cherub, an angel, is driving this chariot to take take God to the rescue. He made the darkness around him a canopy, thick clouds, a gathering water. Out of the brightness before him, coals of fire flamed forth. That looks back to Joshua chapter 10. When Joshua and the Israelites were fighting to get into the promised land, God, if you read it, brought firestorms of hail on the people, the Canaanite people. So David is envisioning the God who was with Moses, the God who was with Joshua is my God. That's my God. Verse 13, out of the brightness before him, coals of fire flamed forth. The Lord thundered from heaven, and here it is, the Most High uttered his voice, and he sent out arrows and scattered them, lightning and routed them. The channels of the sea were seen, and the foundation of the world were laid bare. Where does that envision? The Red Sea. You remember, out of Egypt, we have been in bondage for 400 years, and God has taken us out of Egypt, and he's taking us now through the desert, and the people are so joyous, and they're saying, God has given us freedom, and then they look in front of them, and there's the Red Sea, and then they look behind them, and it's Egypt's army coming at them, and they're going, help! And what does God do? God made a way where there seemed to be no way. He opened the Red Sea, and he let his people walk through on dry ground. David is envisioning that God, the God of Israel, the God of Moses, the God of Joshua, the God of the Red Sea is his God. The most high God is invincible. So David, when he is struggling with life, he looks and he sees that the Lord is my safety. When David was struggling with his life, he saw that prayer is my necessity When David was struggling with his life, he reminded himself that the most high is his invincibility. But there's a third thing I need you to hear, a fourth thing I need you to hear that David looked to, that we need to look to as well. Look at verses 18 and following. He rescued me from my strong enemies, from those who hated me and those who were too mighty for me. David was overwhelmed They confronted me in the day of my calamity, but the Lord was my, I love this, support. The Lord was a staff. The the Hebrew word behind this is the staff that the um, shepherd would use. And the shepherd, it was a curved staff, and sometimes the sheep would fall into a pit, and the way that the shepherd would pull that sheep out of the pit was to use that staff to scoop them up. That's what David is envisioning. You remember the years that he was on the, in the shepherd's field with his sheep? How many times did he scoop up sheep that were in danger? He envisions God scooping him up when he was in danger. He said, verse 20, he brought me 
out into a broad place and he rescued me. Oh, hear it. Because he delighted in me. I think one of the greatest struggles that we have when life turns tough is that we believe that God stops delighting in us. We stop believing that God loves us. We stop believing that God is for us. And David said, right in the heart of the midst of the thing, I need you to know that God is for me. He delights in me. Continue reading in verse 20, 21. The Lord dealt with me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hands. He rewarded me. For I've kept the ways of the Lord and have not wickedly departed from them in my life. For all the rules were before me and the statutes I did not turn aside. I was blameless before him. I was kept myself from guilt and the Lord rewarded me because of my righteousness. Okay, so now we got a little bit of a problem because as we've been going through this, David did some really bad things, really bad. So how can David say that God looks at him in the delight that he's never done anything wrong or he's righteous in the sight of God? I believe it's because of the fourth thing that you need to know. Not only is the Lord my safety, not only is prayer necessity, not only is God the most high my invincibility, that the gospel is my security. The gospel is my security. David is not saying I'm sinless. If you read the Psalms, you know David, one of his confessional Psalms, Psalm 51, against you and only you have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. David knew he was a sinner. That wasn't the issue. David knew that the ultimate righteousness that he had was from God alone. Look, look, he says in verse 21, the Lord dealt with me according to my righteousness. Look at the end of ver- uh, the beginning of verse 25. He says, and the Lord rewarded me. He saw this all coming from God, bookended. God began my salvation. God continues my salvation and God is doing a work in me. God, David recognized that he wasn't saved by his works. He wasn't, but his works proved that he was saved. So very important. In James chapter 2, he says that faith comes by hearing, hearing, I'm sorry, faith without works is dead. That you could say that you have faith in God, but if it's not producing something in your life, it's wrong. And David could look at the general tenor of his life, not a life of direct of perfection, but a life of direction that over and over again, he found that he kept coming back to God. Even on the worst sin that David did, He bent his knee and he said, Lord, please forgive me. You remember with Bathsheba. How about the sin when he brought the ark in, when he didn't listen to God's word? What did he do? Lord, please forgive me. When he counted the census and the people were killed, he says, Lord, please forgive me. It's the one thing that you did not see Saul ever do. And it's the one thing that was a constant theme in David's life. He was constantly seeking forgiveness. See, the gospel tells me this. Our greatest problem is that we have a moral corruption. We, we are under guilt and condemnation. We are alienated from God. That God has set a rule and a standard for our lives and, and, and we fail it day after day. And our desperate need is that we need a new nature. We need to be forgiven. We need to be brought to acceptance. We need to be brought to reconciliation with God. And God does that through a beautiful word called justification. 
Justification is that God declares you right and clean in his sight, not because of anything that you've done, but because of what Christ has done alone. It's a free grace of God, and it's, it's pardoned for all of your sins, all of the things that you've ever done wrong. God says, if you trust in my son, I want to give you complete and total freedom. It's not based on your character. It's not based on your conduct, but it's based on Christ's character and Christ's conduct. And what Christ did for you and for me is that when he hung on a cross, which we're going to symbolize in the Lord's Supper this morning, when he hung on a cross, he bled and died and he took the full wrath of God for those that would trust in his son. He took it away. It's gone. You will never be under condemnation ever again if you're in Christ. There's only one condition, faith, trust. And David, as he was going through difficult times, he he recognized that the Lord is his safety. He recognized that prayer was his necessity. He recognized that the most high was his invincibility. And he recognized the gospel was his security. I'm not going to do the back end of this um, section I just want to pull out one more point before we close. What's interesting about the back end is that, you remember the um, way we talked about the Hebrews write, that the book ends? Um, I started this last section on um, David's sin and Saul's sin. And then we moved from sin and consequences to the middle um, where Tim and Doug had talked about God being our deliverer. And then we moved now to the central part, that God is our rock. Well, he does the same thing with the psalm. If you look at it, he begins with praise, then he goes to God delivered me, and then right in the center, he goes to the gospel. So if you've got the front end, you've got the back end. Praise, deliverance, gospel. Now he's going to go from pray, uh, gospel, deliverance, praise. That's how he ends the psalm. So I just want to leave you with one other thing that jumped out at me. The Lord is my safety. Prayer is my necessity. The most high is my invincibility. The gospel is my security. I'll throw one in. The scriptures are my sufficiency. The scriptures are my sufficiency. Look with me at verse 31. This God, his ways are perfect. The word of the Lord proves true. He is a shield for all those who take refuge in him. For who is God but the Lord? And who is a rock except our God? This God is my strong refuge. David trusted in the word of the Lord. It's a sad reality that many people today don't read the word. I just encourage you, David not only read the word, because as you can hear in the psalm, he was thinking about Moses. He was thinking about Joshua. He was thinking about the judges. He, the God of the word, became his God. The God of the word needs to become your God. So I'll throw the last, that one was a, a, a freebie. The last one is in the last four or five verses. Turn with me to verse 47. So the, most, the Lord is my safety, Prayer is my necessity. The most high is my invincibility. The gospel is my security. The throw in was the scriptures are my sufficiency, verses 29 through 31. And then finally, God's loyal love is my certainty. God's loyal love is my certainty.
He says this, the Lord lives, blessed be my rock and the exalted be my God, the rock of my salvation, the God who gave me vengeance and brought down the people under me, who brought me out of from my enemies and exalted me above those who were against me. You delivered me from men of violence. Hear the praise again. And then here's the verse. For I praise you, O Lord, among the nations. That's you, actually. Paul's going to take this verse in Romans chapter 15, and he says that the gospel message going out to the Gentile world is being prophesied right here by David. He doesn't even realize it. And he sings praise to your name, and here it is, great salvation he brings to his king, and he shows steadfast love to his anointed, to David and to his offspring forever. When life gets tough, sometimes we forget that God still loves you. God loves you with an everlasting love if you're in Christ. He says the steadfast love, it's a Hebrew word, has said. His covenantal love for you. A love that can never be broken. A love that will never fail. That is only for those who trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. So this morning, I want you to think about this, that when God stretches you, he stretches you because he wants to strengthen you. When, when God causes you to grieve, he does that because he wants you to grow. When God takes you through paths that make you feel pain, God is doing that because he wants to mature you in faith. He's not doing that because he's opposed to you. He's doing that because he loves you with an everlasting love. So when, when times get tough, remind yourself that God is your safety. When times get tough, remind yourself that prayer is your necessity. When times get tough, remind yourself that the most high God is your invincibility. When times get tough, remind yourself that the gospel is your security. When times get tough, remind yourself that scriptures are your sufficiency. And then when all else fails, when times get tough, remind yourself that God's loyal love for you is your certainty. So, Lord, we praise you and we thank you. Lord, there was this song that you know I've been running through my head this week. And it, it goes that God will make a way where there seems to be no way. He works in ways we cannot see. He will make a way for me. He will be my guide Hold me closely to his side with love and grace for each new day. He will make a way. He will make a way. So Lord, I, I thank you for the fact that that way was carved out through the life, the death, and the resurrection of your son. Father, our righteousness is as filthy rags. All the good things and the praises that we do do not earn us salvation. No, it doesn't but we recognize that our salvation was bought and paid for by your son. Before this world was ever created, you had stamped your vision upon us. You loved us before we were ever in this world. You had planned to send your son, the Lord Jesus Christ. You're the planner of salvation. Jesus Christ is the provision of our salvation. And the Holy Spirit is the pledge of our salvation. So, so today, Lord, as we, as we take your son's table, help us to remember what he has done for us. Help us to magnify him. And as David did, help us to burst forth in praise. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
This has been Lessons for Life with James Long Jr. We hope you've been blessed. For more information, go to jameslongjr.org.